0: Good afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold and I hope you've had a wonderful day. I'm so glad that we're going to get a little time you and me together this afternoon or maybe you listen to a podcast in the evening. Either way, I love spending time with you. So whether you're uh in the car right now, I appreciate you uh hitting Faith Radio and listening to the program. I always appreciate it. I hope you learn something every day cuz I know I do. And this is one of the reasons I love this job is I get to come and speak to really smart people like Dr. Alex McFarlane. He's going to come on in just a minute. But I've been focusing today uh, on Psalm 16. And let me just read a couple verses. I've got uh, four of them here for you, starting in verse 5. Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me even at night my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. That is one of my favorite psalms, and I've been thinking about that all day, and I can't think of a better friend and guest to have on right now than Dr. Alex McFarland. He has uh, preached in over 2,000 churches across North America, as well as internationally, and he's an author, an apologist, and he is the founder of of a uh, truth for a generation truth for a new generation conference there's one coming up in October I want to talk about it a little bit later but uh let's bring him on the program now Alex welcome
1: well thank you Bill it's such a privilege always to be with Thanks. you and last week I was reading Psalm 16 wow. and I, it just warms my heart that you've been reading that and um the Psalm 16 is just so encouraging all of it but I too I love that verse I believe it's verse Six, the boundary lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places, yea, I have the uh, King James says i have a a godly heritage or goodly mm-hmm. heritage, but um isn 't it something the the boundary lines of our life that God in his wisdom, has arranged things to make it most conducive for us to know the gospel and respond to the gospel, but psalm sixteen uh, that is golden. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah. And even when you lay your head on the pillow at night, Alex, God is still instructing our hearts. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And do you know what? I have uh, I was on the road traveling. This is uh, probably two years ago, before COVID. And my my battery died on my phone. I forgot my phone charger. <laughs> and I had to get up and make a flight. And I was laying in bed, and I was just thinking about the Lord. And he's so good to us. And I said, Lord, I need you to be my alarm clock. <laughs> uh, I yeah. I need you to wake me up and and he did and how often uh, we've me we've laid in bed at night you know trying to go to sleep and there have you ever had to pray Bill and say Lord I need you just to turn my mind off and there are too many things rattling around in my head so Lord give me the gift of sleep right now yes
0: I do that often
1: yeah and and God will do it and how privileged we are to be God's children, through faith in Jesus, that all our needs are met. And uh, I was reading earlier this week about, um, you know, melanta, which is a a, a drink, an acid, mm-hmm. I suppose, like Pepto-Bismol. How sales of that were up, 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 and I guess people are stressed. And I understand sometimes you have to have medicine and things like that. I know that. But the child of God doesn't have to be stressed. And um, if I can give one more verse, and then will I'll throw it to you. But I was reading Psalm 94, verse 19. Says, "When anxiety was great within yes. me, your consolation brought me joy." I that's, love that. That's better than an asset, isn't it? Yeah.
0: I was uh, in a similar situation, Alex, where I didn't have my, my phone charger and a dead phone, and I also prayed that the Lord would wake me up, but I also drank six glasses of water before I went to bed as an insurance policy. Because <laughs> you don't want to miss that flight. You don't, you're, you're a wise traveler. Yeah, yeah. So as I go about talking to people about the Lord, I, I always am aware of this, Alex, and I know you can uh, corroborate this, There are some people that simply don't have any information about God, or the information they have is not good information. Or they've Mm -hmm. had a hurt or an anger towards God that has just shut them off from Him. Or they've understood who God is, but they've just said, no, I reject Jesus and I reject God. But it's always one of those three, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it it is, and it is... um surprising how many people in the western world and in america more and more don't know about jesus or salvation and uh... you know the bible talks about the people in egypt it says there there arose a generation that did not know joseph or joseph's god and uh... so we in a way have a great opportunity but uh... i'm reading a book right now by a guy named jonah goldberg and it's called the suicide of the west and he I don't know but I'm presuming he's Jewish. But he says in the book he says that he is not a right wing evangelical Christian, but there's no denying that the Western world and America itself was built on Christianity. And what's so interesting, this book and he's it's a very academic book, The Suicide of the West, and he, he basically says, Look, we're losing, you know, all of the things that made us a cohesive, stable culture. And what was that stability? He says it was the church and it was Christianity. And um, i got to share this to maybe give a little perspective on how blessed we are, because you know, for 243 years, really 245 years, actually, since 1776, we've had this America. And Bill, it's really so unique that we have self-government, and the the government exists for the people not the people exist for the government we have the right to own property we have the right to choose our career path and earn money and you you might have been born into poverty but you can become anything you are willing to dream and work hard and say your prayers and america is the land of opportunity it really is now Goldberg, this sociologist, in The Suicide of America and the West, and again, it's not a Christian book by any stretch of the imagination, but yet he's, he documents over and over, he says, look, it was the the biblical worldview that gave us this freedom, this liberty, this prosperity. So here's what he says. He says, in the last, uh, you know, imagine history is like 200,000 years and of course the age of the earth is a widely debated subject and he said so uh... the two hundred and forty-plus years of america he said if we look at history and um, all of known recorded history is two hundred thousand years the the lot of the human race has been poverty war violence early death tribalism and then along comes thing in the late seventeen hundreds that we call democracy. Uh but it's not just mob rule, it's based on the Ten Commandments, says Goldberg. He says, Really, if history is two hundred thousand years, then what we've had in America would represent the last fourteen hours. That's how rare this is. Do you see what I'm saying? mm mm-hmm. so this freedom, this opulence, this prosperity, this liberty, this democracy, that we really take for granted, and the idea that you know, a, a kid turns 16 gets a brand new car. Someone does a, a video and makes millions of dollars because they got that many likes on social media. I mean, all this uh, running water, indoor plumbing, heat, air conditioning, electricity, mobility. Computers, instantaneous communication, good medical care, literacy. If history is 200,000 years, then all of this American prosperity and freedom would represent the goings on of the last 14 hours. Wow. That's how rare what we've got is. Mm. Yeah, everything you just mentioned, too, Alex, is
0: a reminder of how much we have and how we live really like kings in this
1: 21st century. The, the, the richest pharaohs yeah. of old would be in awe of the lifestyle that we have.
0: Yeah. Mm. It's powerful. Alex, I know that you've got a new book coming out, and I don't know if you want to talk about it yet. I always love yeah. talking about it more than once. I want to do some build-up to it. Are you open to talking yeah. about it, or should sure, should, sure. We, should we do that after the break?
1: uh yeah, sure but yeah it's um it's online although the official re- release date is September 7 but it's 100 bible questions and answers and uh I'm going to be sending some to my favorite radio station up in Minnesota I like that a- and maybe they could give some away
0: oh that would be wonderful that would be great so let me take a little break we come back I love questions and answers and you're the best at it so let me take uh, mm-hmm. a very short break. Dr. Alex McFarland is my guest. You can go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex. We'll be right back with some preview of his new book. Alex McFarland, I always uh, look forward to my time with Alex. I just got a nice uh, note from Terry, my uh, wingman, Alex. He said, regarding what Dr. McFarland said before COVID, is is that how we'll be dividing the 21st century now? Because I've said the same thing before COVID and after COVID, which I don't think we've gotten after COVID yet, but eventually that might be a, a dividing Oh, point. yeah.
1: Well, you know, I grew up and I heard about, you know, polio and... Just so many things, um, and the sock vaccine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, this is a huge delineator of history. Yes, I mean, sure this is. is really, regardless of uh, the Wuhan lab or the origins or how the governments have handled it. I mean, this this is um, a season of of history that will never never be forgotten. Right. And I also, Bill, am. Just a little bit up in the air about if there will ever be normalcy again, like we 've known it, um, you know I flew yesterday i I was in Colorado with a faculty meeting for cares um, Bible College where i 'm teaching apologetics this fall, and um anyway i 'm telling you in the airport, I watched there were a couple of people that had words with each other, nothing happened no nobody came to blows, but I was just observing people and i mean if you didn't have a mask on or if you weren't socially distant i watched some people glaring at each other because they weren't maintaining six feet of distance and uh you know the longer it goes on and the more children and young people you know there, there'll be a time when there'll be a demographic of people who never knew the world before COVID. yeah good point and so yeah this is uh History has definitely turned a page here, and I'm not sure it's a good one.
0: Mm-hmm. Alex, tell me about your new book that's going to be coming out, I believe, next month.
1: Yeah, oh, thank you so much. And and yes, I will. Angie, my wife, told me that a case of books arrived on Wednesday. And so I, I'm going to be sending you guys some. But um, as you know, for a dozen years, we've done a program on another network called Exploring the Word. And people call in with Bible questions. I teach the Bible along. I've got a very wonderful co-host, Reverend Bert Harper. He's a pastor of thirty years. But we wrote a book called The One Hundred The The Top One Hundred Bible Questions from the First Ten Years of Exploring the Word. The subtitle says Inspiring Truths, Helpful Explanations and Power for Living from God's Eternal Word. And uh by the way, it's published by Broad Street Publishing. I've got a dear friend Carlton Garborg and an amazing staff in um Minnesota there. Broad Street Publishing is is right there in the state where you are, Bill. Nice. And um so we literally we just tallied up and easily this could have been three volumes of a hundred questions each because in twelve years, you know, we've done live Monday through Friday for twelve years. But questions so, some some simple or or you know commonly assumed questions, how do we really know that God exists, and how do we really know that Jesus rose from the dead? But we got some really good questions that we tallied up um, you know, what what were the Gnostic gospels? Uh, why are books no longer being added to the Bible? Um, how did Judas Iscariot die? The Bible seems to provide two different stories. Um, what does genesis six mean when it says a man's days will be only one hundred and twenty years here's a good one uh... how could solomon be called a wise man because he had so many wives and (laughs) on and on so we've got it divided up into uh, twelve sections and the sections are questions about god uh... alleged bible contradictions old testament challenges Like, uh, did God condone incest in the Old Testament? And questions about God. But then, Bill, a lot of questions about the modern world and worldview. Um, How can people be lost if they're sincere about what they believe? You know, the question uh, is, is sincerity enough to put you in right standing with the Lord? Or does it matter what you believe? And, of course, it really does. And questions about Jesus, questions about sexuality and gender. We've got a whole section um, because we get so many questions like this. You know, is there anything in the Bible that addresses transgenderism? And should I attend a same sex wedding? And on and on, but there are 100 Bible questions and answers. The book is about right at 300 pages. And uh, myself and Bert Harper, we worked on it all through last year, and it's coming out September 7th. And it's it's on online, on the bookstores Sweet. already, I'm told.
0: Yeah. And I think you're on the show again September 2nd, maybe. So we'll—or okay. the 3rd. Rosie just said the 3rd, so she knows what she's talking about, unlike me. But we'll get well, you um, on with uh, books to give away uh, to our listeners. You know, maybe we can get four or five copies, and we'll do a drawing for the books.
1: I, I will do my best to have those go out Monday. Yeah. I love those books, Alex. i got to tell you, um, I've got— uh, uh,
0: the Top 100 Biblical Answers to Popular Questions by Richard Buse.
1: I don't know if you know Richard oh, Bewes. Yeah. Sure. From I, mean, I mean, not personally, but... Yeah. Um, I, is is that the book that the cover is kind of blue and white? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what? Uh, I've, I've had that book for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. I love that book. I do, too. I had Pete in his, in his house one, one night. Oh, my word. Yeah. Now, is he from England? Yes, he is. Wow. So were were you like over in London or something? I was something? in London, yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's I went to
0: his cool. church, and I met John Stott that day, which was a big thrill. And then wow. later that night, I was uh, got invited to pizza at his house, at uh, Richard's house. It was lovely.
1: I had a class under John Stott. And folks, um, little inside baseball here, uh, names like J.I. Packer and John Stott. Uh, these, these are some of the giants of, of Christian theology in our lifetime, weren't they, Bill?
0: They were indeed. But I am so filled with constant questions, Alex. Even one that came up in the, my Bible study this morning with my guys was this question, and it's, if Satan in the wilderness offered all this I give you line, you remember that when he offered that mm-hmm. to Jesus? Yes. Was it because it was his to give, or was that just another bald-faced lie? And if Jesus you know, knew the offer wasn't legit, why didn't he just call him out
1: on it? Well, exactly, and and I'll give you another one that I've re- seriously I've been prayerfully prayerfully working on this, and perhaps you and I can discuss it one day on a similar note on Palm Sunday, uh, when Jesus rode in and they said, "Hosanna, king of the Jews," um, had they really believed? Could the kingdom have been ushered in at that point Mm. without the atonement? Um, Now, that's another question for another day, but most scholars regarding the wilderness temptation where, um, you know, Matthew 4, 9, they're up on a high mountain, and Lucifer, Satan, says all this I'll give you. Now, it always makes my skin crawl to even read this. Satan says to Jesus, the Son of God, all this i will give to you if you will bow down and worship me i mean don't you recoil just at the thought of that and there let me let me say this jesus in the most stern language says away from me satan for it is written worship the lord your god and serve him only um at least in some sense it was a legitimate offer i suppose because the prince of the power of the air they call Satan the prince of this world. Do you remember when Jesus, uh, in John fifteen sixteen, he says, I, it's expedient for you that I go away because I will send another, the Comforter, and he will come, convince the world of sin. And Jesus says, the prince of this world is judged. Mm-hmm. See, Satan is a loser. Satan is beaten. He really is. And I think that he is frantically working to harm people and deceive people because he knows his time is short, but would would Christ ever sin? Would would the Creator bow down and worship the creation? Impossible, unthinkable. But yet, apparently, uh, with Lucifer, at least for the moment, having permission to go forth and deceive the nations, in a way, it... On Satan's side of the ledger, it was a legitimate offer. But let me tell you, um, had that happened, reality itself would have unraveled. And, and let me just say this, and I know I'm off on a, on, a, <laughs> on a ramble, but here's the thing, and we address this in the book. Why is God eternal? And it is his nature to eternally exist. God could not not exist. But Bill, part of the reason that God is eternal is because in him is no sin or unrighteousness. God is thoroughly pervasively totally righteous and holy and perfect and see the bible says in romans six twenty three that the wages of sin is death see uh john um first john uh one five it says that he is the light of life, okay. God is eternal for several reasons, not the least of which is because he's completely righteous. And if sin was introduced into the nature of God, he would cease to be God. And we would cease to have reality because Colossians 117 says Jesus is sustaining everything. By him all things consist. So Satan was making the offer, but it was an offer that it would be unthinkable, impossible uh, for it to have been accepted. And Jesus said the same thing that we should say when we're tempted to sin. Um, Get behind me, Satan, because God alone is the one I will serve.
0: Alex, you definitely should have been at my Bible study this morning because your answer was way better than mine. (laughs) <laughs> oh, and I don't know about that. Listen, I'm, I'm always edified to listen to Bill Arnold. Oh, thank you so much. Alex, you're such a uh, delight to have on the show. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. I assume you're out teaching this weekend?
1: Yes, I am uh, actually preaching at First Baptist Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, where we're going to have a conference in October. But, sounds pretty nice. Hey, uh, before we get on the radio again in two weeks, uh, look for a box of books, okay? Oh, terrific.
0: Thank you, Alex, and have a wonderful weekend. And you as well. God bless. God bless. Dr. Alex McFarland has been my guest. Go to alexmcfarland.com to learn more about Alex and see his good-looking picture. After the break, we're going to talk to my friend, uh, Dr. Greg Heddington. As you know, uh, we've been in a Bible study of the book of John, and we're going to continue that. So get your Bibles open to chapter 18. Get your pen and your paper ready. Be right back. Let's jump back into the Word of God today, which I love doing, and I love doing it with my friend. I've lot. There's my mic. It's cutting out. There we're back. <laughs> back with my friend, Dr. Greg Heddington, as we're going to continue our study in the book of John. I think we're all the way up to John 18, the first 27 verses. Greg, welcome back to the show.
2: Thanks, Bill. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, a little technical difficulty, but that never stopped us. So here we go.
2: Welcome to our study of the Gospel of John, as today we look at John 18, the first 27 verses, and I entitle this lesson, A Garden of Fire and a Residence. If you're taking notes, the first note is Roman number one, the garden. For the past four chapters, we've read about the teachings of Jesus to his apostles, but now the hour has arrived, which Jesus had predicted. Just east of Jerusalem is the Mount of Olives, on which is still located in many gardens, one of which is the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus had often met with his apostles. If you've been to Jerusalem, you know there's a small valley called the Kidron Valley, that one walks down into from Jerusalem City and then up to the Mount of Olives. Gardens were significant in salvation history since our first mother and father lived in a garden. The first Adam disobeyed God in that garden, which brought sin and death to humankind. But Jesus, who is sometimes called the second Adam, will one day be sacrificed for our sake so that we will be able to be in communion with him. And of course he was. Furthermore, the day will come when God ushers in another garden called the heavenly city, which our author John describes in Revelation 21 and 22. In that garden, there will be no more pain and no more death. The word Gethsemane means oil press. And today there are still ancient olive trees in Gethsemane that are hundreds of years old. The olives are picked and then crushed in the press for their oil. And that's a pretty apt image of suffering because Jesus would be crushed and receive the judgment that we deserve. Roman numeral two, before the arrest. The accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record Jesus' agonizing prayer to his father when he prayed, Father, remove this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. Next, in fulfillment of scripture, Judas leads a detachment of soldiers and Jewish officers to where Jesus and the apostles are as the soldiers come carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Now the Greek word for detachment of soldiers is spira. That's a Greek military word meaning there were no fewer than 200 soldiers in the garden. We look to the early church father named Origen who lived in Egypt as a third century Christian scholar for his comment on this passage. He answers the question we might have regarding why did so many Roman soldiers show up in the garden. And Origen states two possible reasons. Here they are. First, so many thousands of people had followed Jesus over his three and a half years of ministry that the soldiers assumed a large throng of people would be there to protect Jesus, and that would seem plausible. Second, the Roman soldiers had heard many stories about how Jesus had demonstrated power as he cast out demons, so they figured Jesus might try to use some kind of sorcery to escape. As Cyril, the Pope of the Alexandria Church in the 5th century, writes this, quote, The soldiers carried lanterns so they might physically see better in the dark, but the real tragedy is that their spiritual blindness had kept them from recognizing the author of truth who was right before them. End of quote. The author John wants us to understand that it's Jesus who's in control of the night. Jesus asks the soldiers, whom do you seek? One Roman soldier replies, Jesus of Nazareth. And then, in most English translations, Jesus responds, I am he. But when we read his response with those three words, we often lose the impact of what he's saying. In the original Greek text, Jesus says, Ego Emi, which means I am. And that is the very name which God uses to describe himself when he confronts Moses for the first time in the Egyptian desert. Now, think of that. It's the very name of God. He doesn't say, I will be or I was, but God says, I am, because I always have been and always will be. The very name of God. Well, the reaction by the soldiers to these two words spoken by Jesus is dramatic. They fall to the ground, but we know that is not an unusual response that people or demons have in Scripture when they come into contact with God the Father or the Son, even for a moment. As Augustine, the brilliant bishop of Algeria, I know I'm doing a lot of church father quotations, but they were much closer in time to those periods. As Augustine, the brilliant bishop of Algeria, in the 5th century writes, quote, if a detachment of 200 soldiers is knocked flat by just two words from Jesus, then imagine Jesus' power when he will return to reign as king of the earth. End of quote. And, of course, one day it will happen. Then Jesus responds, If you seek me, here I am, so let these men go. Jesus says this to fulfill the scripture in John 17, 12, when Jesus tells his father that he had not lost one person with whom the father had entrusted him next we have roman numeral three the garden attack we find that peter had hidden what would be called a short sword under his tunic and decided to prove his loyalty to jesus by using it he had badly misunderstood what jesus had said earlier that the apostles would be treated as if they were dangerous by their enemies so they must be ready to fight a spiritual battle against temptation, but not a physical battle. Well, Peter did not understand that part of Jesus' plan was to surrender to his enemies, so Peter made four mistakes. One, he fights the wrong enemy. Two, he uses the wrong weapon. Three, he has the wrong motive. And four, he accomplishes the wrong result. <laughs> In his emotions, and and this is not the first time Peter has lost control of himself, in his emotions, Peter is actually hindering the ultimate goal goal, which Jesus came to accomplish. It's an example of zeal without knowledge. Yes, Peter displays admirable courage and loyalty. That's true. But he also demonstrates, shall we say, poor aim. I mean, Peter is a fisherman, not a swordsman. He probably aims at the neck, but instead cuts off the ear of a slave named Malchus. Luke's gospel tells us Jesus immediately heals the man's ear. Now, we can only imagine the conversation later that night when Malchus talks to Mrs. Malchus. He might have said something like, So, uh, you ask, what's the blood on my toga? Oh, well, some crazy fisherman cut my ear off. Well, well, yes, it's still on my head. No, I haven't been drinking, that it was attached by a man the Romans were trying to arrest. No, I, I don't know who he was or why he reattached my ear. All I know is one minute my ear is lying in the dirt, and the next moment this man reattaches it. Do you think that maybe he's Messiah? By the way, a relative of Malchus will also play a role in the events to follow. One lesson we can take away from this incident is that Peter's violence is an act of panic, a sudden flash of impulsive desperation. Throughout the history of Christendom, when believers have reached for the sword to defend the honor of Christ, the result has usually ended up dishonoring the gospel because we are involved in spiritual, not physical, warfare against evil to expand the kingdom of God, and that can be even more challenging for those of us who might feel better reacting in a violent manner. Yet we're dealing with a mystery of the eternal, which is a cosmic war against Satan and can only be fought through the power of prayer to release the Holy Spirit to do God's sovereign work. Amen. Mm. Now, by the way, some skeptics like to point out the fact that all four gospel writers add different minor details throughout the four accounts when each gives descriptions from their point of view. And yes, it's true that if you have four different accounts of an event, you will not receive the same report exactly like the others give it. Like witnesses to an accident, four people give slightly different details, but they get the main detail correct. Some people think that these minor divergences in the Gospels demonstrate a lack of credibility in Scripture. Yet each writer agrees on the main points. So, in fact, these minor divergences in details actually bolster our confidence in the trustworthiness of the events because the writers did not all sit down and copy all the insignificant details exactly from each other so they would all turn out precisely the same. So this is one more example why we can affirm the reliability of Scripture. Roman numeral four, denial by a fire. The writer tells us that Peter and another disciple followed Jesus to the courtyard of the high priest. Almost every reputable scholar agrees. This other disciple was John himself for a number of reasons. The fourth century archbishop of Constantinople, which is in present day Turkey, who was named Chrysostom says this quote, the writer John mentions Peter and another disciple in order to let the reader know that he, John, will make a precise record of events that take place so the readers will know that he, John, is bodily present. End of quotation. Now, we find it intriguing that John is the only gospel writer who has access to get into the courtyard to witness what is happening to Jesus. And not because he sneaks in somehow, but because of the family relations evidently probably from his father Zebedee so that John therefore had connections with the high priest it also shows his courage that he ventured inside so far that he was able to hear the conversation between Jesus and Annas whereas Peter was not able to make it inside because he did not have the same connections as John did instead Peter ends up standing outside by a fire with the enemies of Jesus which is the last place you might expect someone to to find the apostles. A servant girl asks Peter rhetorically, you're one of the man's disciples. Peter says, I am not. A little later, another person says, you also are one of his disciples. Peter says, I am not. Then one of the servants, who's a relative of Malchus, whose ear Peter had earlier cut off, says, didn't I see you in the garden with him? And according to Matthew's Gospel, Peter curses and says, I don't know the man, and then the cock crows. Now, regarding the cock crowing, some scholars say that the cock crow had nothing to do with a rooster but refers to a trumpet blast that occurred every morning at 3 a.m. in Rome to designate that the sunrise would appear in just a few hours. Whether or not that is what it refers to, there is one legend that grew up around this famous denial which claims that wherever Peter went for years after this night, people would make the sound of a rooster to humiliate him. Now, that's just a legend, even though a rooster is often used in art as a symbol representing Peter. But what is most significant are the words that chrysostom the 4th century archbishop in Turkey, wrote when he said this, quote, "...among the eleven remaining apostles... It was Peter who was the first to fail in his faith so that he would remember his sin and be merciful to others who failed in their faith. The Lord transformed his weakness in himself into courage and power to lead a miraculous life in commitment to the Lord. End of quotation. Now the lesson here for us is let's be slow to point fingers at someone whom we feel deserves to be judged by God when the truth is, although we may not have committed that same act, we may have thought to do it in our mind, or something worse, which Jesus says is still a sin. Remember, we are all sinners desperately in need of a Savior. Now, we'll consider one last portion of Scripture very briefly before we consider what this might mean for us today, and Bill, that brings us up to Roman numeral five.
0: You know, this might be a good time, Greg, if, if you don't mind, to take a short break We're studying the book of John with Dr. Greg Heddington. We've been in this series for quite a while now, and I've been loving it. I know you have, too, because I've heard from lots of you. We'll take a little break and be right back. I'm back with Dr. Greg Heddington as we continue studying the Gospel of John. We're in chapter 18 today, if your Bibles are out. And I'm loving this teaching, of course, Greg, like always. But I think we last left off, I believe, on number five.
2: That's exactly right, Bill. Roman numeral five. And I entitled this Jesus Before Annas the High Priest. Even though Caiaphas was technically the high priest... Annis had previously held that position because he held the real power. I mean, it's somewhat similar to a former godfather of the mafia who steps down from that position as the Don, but everyone knows he really is the one you go to in order to get things done. And so it was with Annis. The, quote, trial before Annis is more of an informal hearing in the residence of Annis. As in the other trial, which Jesus would endure later before Caiaphas, they are both illegal meetings according to Jewish law, and the Jews were very uh, specific about their laws being followed, but this was clearly way beyond that for several reasons, not the least of which is because there are no witnesses to speak on behalf of Jesus. This cannot be considered a legal Jewish trial, but we can call this, A kangaroo court. Now, a kangaroo court has nothing to do with kangaroos. (laughs) I want to get that straight because when I used to hear that as a child, I thought, okay, we're going to hear about kangaroos now. Well, actually not. It's a term used to describe an unofficial court whose intent is to convict someone and charge them as guilty of a crime without sufficient evidence. It's called a kangaroo court because the court is put together so quickly as if a kangaroo suddenly jumps out of nowhere and startles people. Now, I know nothing about the behavior of kangaroos, but I assume the originator of that phrase was probably an Australian who was referring to the abrupt and illegal trials that the British had sometimes used in the past to convict Australians when Australia Australian was under English domination. Not sure about that, but it's a possibility. Well, we don't know the exact questions Annas posed to Jesus, but he was trying to find any evidence that would lead to a conviction. In response, Jesus calmly responds, Why don't you ask the people who listen to me teach, because I have said nothing in secret. So our scripture this week ends with Annas sending Jesus onto the current high priest, Caiaphas, and we will pick that up Next week in chapter 18. So the question now in Roman numeral six, what does this mean to us? I want to end this lesson with a modern true story with which some of you are familiar. It's the story of Jim Elliot. As a young boy living in Oregon, Jim Elliot had dreamed of being a missionary so that people living in other countries would not die without first hearing of the love of Jesus for them. Jim would later attend a Christian college and then take several years of linguistic studies before traveling to Ecuador to work with a missionary who ministered to the Quechua Indians. After much prayer, Jim believed he was called to work with an unreached people group of Aka Indians in Ecuador who were so dangerous that they'd killed every outsider who had ever ventured into their territory. However, in 1956, Jim Elliot and four other missionaries took a small prop plane and landed in a remote area of Ecuador in order to share the gospel with this dangerous tribe. In brief, they were just beginning to make contact with them when a band of Aka warriors appeared out of the forest and brutally murdered all five missionaries with spears and arrows beside a riverbed. News of their murder quickly spread around the world, and the U.S. search team was soon able to locate the bodies and bury them. The story made the front cover of Life magazine, and a 10-page article in it described the life, mission, and death of Jim Elliot and the other four men. But the story does not end there. Jim Elliot had often asked for more people to become missionaries. However, it was through his death that probably inspired more people to go to other countries to share the love of Jesus than Jim ever could have reached if he had lived. And there is more to this story. In less than two years after Jim's death, his widow, Elizabeth Elliot, who had become a renowned Christian author, moved to that very Aca village in Ecuador along with the wife and daughter of one of the other slain missionaries named Nate Saint. Now, that's an appropriate name. His last name is Saint. And many Aca Indians became believers as a result, and they have now become a friendly tribe to other tribes. Missionaries, including Nate Saint's son and his family, still live among the Acas today. It's just incredible. Mm. Now to conclude Jim Elliot's story, in his diary, Jim expressed his belief that work which is dedicated to Jesus is ultimately more important than one's own life. He wrote this quote in his diary. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me let me say that again. He is no fool who gives who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. The Apostle Peter's denial of Jesus was not the end of the story for him either. Peter would weep bitterly and repent after his denial. But as he became fully committed to Jesus, he went on to become the most influential preacher and apostle alongside of St. Paul, who would come later, after Pentecost. And we have two letters written by him in the New Testament. It goes to show that no matter whatever anyone has done in their life, if their heart becomes yielded to the Lord, they can be used in powerful ways in God's sovereign plan. As for Jesus, well, we know the first part of chapter 18 is not the end of his story either. And we'll pick it up next time when he goes before a Roman official and on that day, The master of the universe willingly puts himself into the hands of sinful people that he might suffer and die for us. Now, what is our response? I think of the words of the hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. So, our challenge today is this. Will I commit to give to Jesus What I cannot keep to gain what I cannot lose.
0: That's so powerful, Greg. And I look and study John with you, and I see Peter, who you have to love because he's emotional and he's impetuous and he's zealous, and sometimes he's completely on fire for Jesus, and other times it's like, where are you, Peter? Um, But talk about how this portrayal of him, how does it differ from what we later read in the letters he wrote after the resurrection?
2: Bill, well, it's a great question. It's certainly something everybody should read, first and second Peter. And it's true. The picture of Peter we see from reading the Gospels is strikingly different from the person we find in his letters, which are entitled First and Second Peter. In the Gospels, we see Peter as an impulsive, restless soul, sometimes fearless, but sometimes a coward, even going so far, as we read in the, the Gospel of John, to deny the Lord and as the book of Matthew adds, with a curse. But in Peter's two epistles, he seems patient, restful, and loving, with a courage which has been purified and strengthened by the indwelling Holy Spirit, which, of course, made a dramatic appearance at Pentecost. So this is a dynamic illustration of the transforming work of Christ in the human life. And, Bill, just as the apostle John has been called the apostle of love Peter has been called the Apostle of Hope. Five times in his first letter, we find him using the word hope. And he says we can also live in hope in spite of the suffering we as believers will experience. Suffering is also a primary emphasis of his two letters because when he wrote those two letters in the early 60s A.D., believers suffered from widespread persecution by the Roman authorities under the cruel Emperor Nero. So he admonishes his readers to live a life of purity, godly living, and faithfulness. And let me just say there is a lot of Peter in most of us. I mean one moment we're ready to give it all to Jesus, yet a few minutes later we're distracted by something quite trivial and we forget that commitment to the Lord. The good news for all of us is that we worship the God of the second and third and fourth and more choices chances. And we will never, as humans, live the life we intend to live. But in the words of Keith Green, a song from years ago, he said, keep doing your best, pray that it's blessed, and Jesus takes care of the rest.
0: Thank you so much, Greg. It's been fantastic studying this.
2: Great, Bill. Thanks so
0: much. All right. Dr. Greg Heddington has been our guest as we continue our study of the Book of John. We'll take a short break and be right back.